the competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussion with the best players on the planet. Your hosts, Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast. This is episode 95, I believe. Uh, we just got, pretty much everyone on the show actually just got back from uh, Atlantic City Open uh, with uh, varied results, some of us here better than others. Uh, I am your host, Tim Penny. Uh, I, this is my uh, I believe second or third episode on. You may have heard my dulcet tones before. Uh, Nick isn't joining us. I'm actually going to be joined today by my new and uh, permanent co-host, Mr. John Lennon. Not the singer, but the uh, 40K prodigy. John, hello. The the Tom Brady of 40K to the singer joke. Oh. I mean, I I actually think that if you were the singer John Lennon, that uh, Tim was a necromancer. It would have been way, way more impressive for the podcast. Would have been impressive. But the thing is, my jokes is I have to make uh, the one bad joke early and then bury it and we never talk about it again. Uh, And spoiler alert, you may have just heard him uh, pipe up there. We are joined by the Atlantic City uh, Open winner, Mr. Brad Oldman Chester. Welcome aboard, Brad. So today we're going to have a uh, kind of a slightly different episode. As uh, many of you may or may not be aware Atlantic City Open was kind of in a time warp where we had a multitude of changes uh, with the uh, new mission pack, the Drakari FAQ, the release of the Admech Codex, the release of the Sisters Codex, all pretty much happened in between the time that the rules and lists were locked into place mm-hmm. and when the event happened. So it was kind of like peering in almost through a time machine into the past. Uh, so we felt here at Art of War that there would be a little bit less value if we just simply just broke down the list and how it goes into matchups because, frankly, none of you listeners will be able to play it. So what we're going to do is we are going to talk a little bit about Brad's list just so you know where we're coming from. We're actually going to talk about how Brad is adapting and changing his list uh, in the post-FAQ world and in what I call 9th edition uh, 9.1. So, Brad, I'm going to kick it to you. How about you uh, walk us through your old list and then we'll jump into the new one to start dissecting this. So old list was double coven, single cult of strife. So I was running six racks, two liquefiers. I had six boats, all that were in dark technomancer. And then I ran three units of five incubi, one unit of 10 hellions, two big units of 10 witches, one unit of five with the plus two move drug. And then I had three succubuses as my HQs. So I had the kind of the standard, the usual suspects of Triptech Whip, Competitive Edge, uh, Razor Flail, Dark Lotus Toxin, Precision Blows. And then I had the odd girl out succubus who was just running uh, the Glaive Exquisite with plus two attacks. So the list significantly changes, of course, because I am no longer running six units of racks or two units of grotesques, which is a significant flip for the list. The list is going to go back to what kind of what I was running before then. I made a hard switch right before ACO. I won the, I went to the Armed Forces uh, GT in Chicago uh, with that, and then I played back-to-back that 
that same list I went with Armed Forces and then I went to ACO with it. So performed really well, but there's a lot of basic uh, concepts that are going to stay in the list moving forward. So uh, I think the succubuses are fan fantastic. So my ideas moving forward to try to do the same thing is I have a couple kind of things to go to. I'm definitely going to run double cult. I really, really like the double cult. Uh, just having a lot of stuff in it moving forward. And there's a couple of things that were just super MVPs that I wanted more of over the course of the weekend. The Hellions were just crazy good. Uh, just giving me that ability to extend out with two damage weapons, zooming out, uh, Occasionally, the poison weapon, the poison guns make a difference here and there. But mainly, it's just that volume of attacks at the two damage mark, you know, just having that extra damage out there. So what I'm now thinking of bringing, this is literally version 1.0 because I've just started with it. But I'm thinking about bringing the same two succubus I said before. And then you've got the two units of witches, the, the two big ten 10 girl squads, two 10 man Hellion squads, <clears throat> a single witch with the bust a move drug just to get things done, a, a unit of three Reavers just to shenanigan, mess with people, you know, zoom turn one, try to make it so people can't raise banners, uh, a five man scourge squad, which is shredders, just an 80 point squad that can either try to pick up or do a little bit of damage to all these giant squads that you see that are with sisters and admech running out just because they're blast. They have D six shots blast. So I can get 24 shots uh, plus the three from the solarite. And then I'm going to bring a cabal and I've got a quarter of the archon. I really liked it. I was playing against Nick. We talked about it a lot for a buck 36. You just get a crap ton of wounds and attacks, so you just get a really good volume for very cheap. The Archon with Fight Last, a unit of Trueborn, which I'm back and forth on, and two units of Mandrakes, and a total of four Raiders, and uh, still with the three the three times five suck RA Incubi, because I just think that they're, the value on those is just so crazy uh, for 80 points that I can't ever live without them. All right, so obviously you had to make a decent amount of changes in you know the hindsight of that FAQ. When you're looking at adapting a list, are you trying to you know kind of like you said make a 1.0 version, or are you trying to like kind of take the roles that were being filled by units that you're cutting and try to replace them with something else to fill the same role? A little bit of each, tell you the truth, because I can't really replicate just the the pure point for point value of the liquefiers, but I can do those battlefield roles. What were they trying to attack? Like what were, you know, what were the things that I was trying to take out with those liquefiers? And that goes into a lot of things that I put in. It's because a lot of times I was just trying to pick on different things with the liquefiers and tell you the truth. I did miss a few things. Like I didn't have mandrakes in my ACO list and I really missed having a forward deploying unit. So those were going to go in there no matter what. That's one of the things that I really, really wanted to come back. But as far as replacing things, I'm looking to be attacking. Tell you the truth, like, I loved a lot of things with the liquefiers, and I'll just get stoned for saying this, but sometimes they're just overrated on that. Uh, just because they work really well, especially against 
other Drukari half the time. You know, I was trying to pop Raiders and stuff like that. But they didn't do as much when I'm going into Dreadnoughts. They're just over glorified flamers on that. So I miss them and I don't miss them because it just gives me more options to put some of the other things that I've had a lot of success with playing my Dark Eldar. Okay, so kind of taking this as an opportunity to go back to the roots of what you had worked on before going heavier on the cults. Um, obviously, you know, we know Cult of Strife is amazing, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about the um, the succubus that you used. You had triple succubus in your original list more than almost any other Dark Elder player. I actually don't think I've seen any Dark Elder player yet go with all three of them. And are you you're keeping all three in the next version of the list, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna put in the it just depends on how much I like the court. I put in an, an archon. I put the two the usual suspects of Triptych Whip with competitive edge. Uh, it's just literally the most uh, consistent damage in the game. And then the Razor Flails with precision precision blows and dark. Dark, Dark Lotus Toxin, uh, she just spikes so high because every six to wound or six to hit is just two more to wound, so she can really go crazy sometimes. Uh, but the Triptych Whip, the third was the basically the bonus succubus, and I'm going to use the Archon for a bit because I really wanted to put that cord in. I actually liked. I was talking to Nick a lot about it. When we played. I did like the cord on the board a little bit more than I thought I was going to just having a ton of wounds out there and they have a huge amount of attacks also. So you can get into like some of these bigger squads um, that are just out there right now. You see people taking Admech and sisters and they're you're, you're just, a lot of these bills have just bigger squads and it never hurts to have, you know, just something that has a huge amount of attacks to take to help with Necrons, anything else, you know, where you're looking at the larger squads. So that's kind of what I was looking at. I'm very hemming and hawing about the Trueborn uh, just because of the fact that I was able to grab them a lot over the weekend. I played a lot of Dark Eldar in the matchups in the ACO and and in uh, the Armed Forces. And the fact that the Blasters are 18 puts them very close in, <clears throat> excuse me, very close in danger, basically in danger zone. But uh, I really like them. Because, you know, ignoring modifiers, everything else, they're great against planes and they, people trying to give you those modifiers. They can shoot through anything. But uh, they do have to get close. So I'm just debating on whether I want that. And to get both of those, I have to take the Archon. So right now, in my current build, the Archon's going to be in there. And I'm going to put some, you know, just serious games in the lab. You have to really get your your army out there. Uh, myself, I really, really am a player that needs reps with whatever I'm doing, because I, I want to know exactly what I'm doing in case the uh, wheels fall off. I think that if you don't put in enough games and you don't really understand your list enough, then you're not going to be able to play in the bad games. Everybody can play a list when everything good, you know, everything's happened exactly as they're supposed to happen. But those times when Admech jumps all over you, new sisters blow up half your rides, and you're standing there and you have to start making do with everything that you have. So understanding every piece in your army is a big deal to me. Well, all right. It sounds, um, sounds like you move more towards like a uh, board control melee army. Uh, I've noticed that 
uh, as you took the racks out, you didn't really add any more uh, long-range firepower, uh, which makes sense because besides the, the Raiders, um, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of really good long-range anti-tank. You could take Ravagers, but they are kind of expensive, and they don't get the benefit of rerolls. Um, the meta seems to really be kind of shifting more towards uh, firepower, and uh, without getting too much of the matchups, um, is that something you're concerned about, or are you just going to kind of lean to playing the mission and trying to tie up stuff? Both. I'm concerned about it, but I'm also kind of leaning in towards the tournaments that I'm going to be going to. And I've already, I'm going to the next couple ones, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm going to are the GW tournaments. And from what they put out in their terrain, the terrain looked very, very heavy. And I'm kind of leaning in towards that. And also the FLG was talking about, a lot of people talked about their terrain over the weekend. And they said that they were going to uh, make some improvements on that. And I'm going looking to possibly go to Texas next month. So all of those, I feel like I have enough terrain to really maneuver around. And the thing is, is I play, I call it passive aggressive. I'm a set, I set up for other turns, uh, really looking to jump on people in a turn or two, but just set everything up and then really go all in to take things out. But the thing is, is that the the new secondaries also, I feel, are very, very board-centric on that. The new Scramblers, Retrieve Victorious Data, I think is very, very good, uh, given that it's two points more and it's got a better floor also. So you can get 12 instead of that 10. So I think it's a really good secondary on that because you can actually double down and go engage and Octarius data for, you know, I can get a, a healthy 27 without my opponent really doing anything to me. And then it's just me picking that third secondary. And I've got so much MSU that I can really harass one or two of my opponent's objectives to try to peel them off. So I can make sure that I'm always getting at least my 10 and hopefully getting them to uh, a 30 or a 35 instead of a 40, 45, just looking for those points. Cause in the end I just have to score points. I mean, I just, I feel like a lot of times people get real focused on just standing there and punching each other back and forth when at the end of the game, I, I just need to score more points. It doesn't matter if I have more models or not. It just, I have to score more points and win. All right. I like it. Um, I know that, I mean, you know, statistically, I think racks were one of the, the most efficient damage dealers for their points. So trying to just, you know, drop the, the Dark Tachyromancer racks and just replace them with any kind of, you know, efficient damage dealer to make up for it always feels like it's going to be a little bit short and just a little bit worse at the same thing. I like that you're trying to approach this from a more mission place, uh, you know, perspective. Um, and, you know, again, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot during part two in the matchups, but it feels like a lot of other armies in the game are leaning into that damage, uh, that damage output. And, you know, with racks down, do you feel that Dark Elder are capable of keeping up in that arms race? Or do you just think that it's just not the best way for them to approach it? I don't think it's the best way for them to approach it anymore. You're, you're losing out on that. And I think a lot of people are really, really leaning into the, the, the counters for Dark Eldar. And with Sisters and Head, even if they didn't nerf the Dark Technomancers, I actually think that that build would not have been the best way to continue forward 
because of the the sisters build everything that i'm looking at from new sisters and new admac feels that it they play super well into that build that i just brought so i think that i would have had to retool no matter what uh and had a different overall play style and have my win condition be a little bit different uh, i think that i need a little bit more speed right, right now i'm i'm basically going less rides more speed just more volume of hand-to-hand and things of that nature and just more board control and even more MSU to try to take the board. Because I just don't think I can completely contend with uh, the big Lucius blobs and things of that nature. I don't have the same output, even even if I would have the Dark Technomancer <clears throat> um, liquefier still there. They, they put out very consistent, very good damage but they don't do that well against those two armies. You know, you're looking for more of a volume against those those armies right now, and you can't consistently give that to you. You know what I mean? You're 2d6, you're getting sevens most of the time, and you can just uh, poo the bed and do almost nothing. I need more. I want a bigger bell curve, basically. I want a well, more, we, uh, more we volume gives me more chances to actually be able to take some of those things out. Uh, past it, especially with the the new mission packs. This is the uh, first episode I think we've done since a new mission pack has come out, and I do think it's a not just quality of life upgrade for uh, the folks waiting for their ninth edition book, but it's also good for for those of us with ninth edition books. It's just better all around, feels a little bit less feast or famine. Um, when you wrote this list, uh, just walk us through your scoring plan. Are there are there secondaries that you're going to probably take? Um, almost 80% of the time are the ones you're going to take them specific matchups. If you're in a matchup where you feel like um, you're going to go even or maybe even have a disadvantage on primary, it's hard to imagine for Dark Eldar, but I, I guess they are out there. Uh, what are the kind of the secondaries you go to? Um, I saw the Court of the Archon. Usually when we see those, uh, we see two of them as a while we stand, we fight option. But in this case, uh, you only have the one unit. So just... Walk us through uh, your scoring plan. You can, I, I think we know what your scoring plan primary is going to be, but uh, especially your secondary plan. Uh, is there one in place, or you just kind of pick it at the table? It's one in place, mostly one in place. I'm, I'm going to do engage, or I'm going to do domination. I really do like the new domination. Uh, what is it, stranglehold? Uh, just because of the fact that it, it is now three and just more than your opponent. That's actually a big, small change in that sentence because I can take one away from my opponent and just get that domination. So it's, it's something that at least opens up uh, domination in six objective missions, as opposed to I, I pretty much only ever took it in five before. So I'm almost always going to take one. It's either going to be engage or the new domination. <clears throat> and I'm going to do either banners or I'm going to do retrieve Octavius, Octavius data um, depending on what it is. There's certain missions where you start with three in your zone, and I love banners in that, and I have tons of units that can raise banners. But I'm just a super fast army with a lot of MSU, so I just have the ability to be get a 12 almost every time in that, and then it just goes into what the matchup is <clears throat> or what the mission is for my third secondary. I always like to kind of leave that open, just depending on what I'm going to do. I don't build in a lot of while we stands because I end up playing 
I like to use all my pieces, so it's nice to have it. But a lot of times I just I'm using like more expensive units like those 10 Hellions effectively just shut out always stand for me uh, just because those are the most expensive things and they're never going to make it through. And they're too integral for to my game plan to be aggressive with them uh, to choose that. So effectively, I'm going to take the, the two movement secondaries and then I'm going to look at what my third secondary is based on the mission and based on what I'm playing. So, Brad, uh, one of the things you were talking to us about the Hellions and why you like them is just the threat and the fact that it uh, makes your opponent deploy suboptimally or make suboptimal choices or maybe deploy further back than or uh, set up further back than he normally would, which has the knock-on effect of reducing his threat ranges and stuff like that. Um, but what about when people just saw uh, call your bluff, not necessarily for the Hellions, for anything else? Like, for example, if they have nowhere to hide, and so instead of going for a hedged hiding plan, they just decide to just live the coin flip life and deploy forward. Or if they just think the uh, the payoff um, is better of just going for the aggressive play, or if they're just simply, maybe there's a skill mismatch uh, and then they they just don't respect the threat range and they, they try to call your bluff and it potentially pays off. Uh, how do you handle that just with the Hellions and what you're, what you're talking about, what you're trying to do, and just in general with this army? So typically I'm still just deploying behind the most forward forward piece of terrain. So unless I have absolutely nothing to stand behind, which sometimes happens, but most of the time is not. And most of the tournaments that I'm going to in the future with this list have already showed what their terrain is going to be. And I'm very confident on the fact that it's going to be towards the medium to heavy slot, like medium, heavy, heavy. So typically I'm going to push up as far as I can and still be behind whatever thing that I'm, uh, whatever piece of terrain that I can get. So I'm either going to try to threaten my opponent's army. I'm trying to threaten the potential of them going to a midfield objective. Either one. Um, and they're either if they decide not to respect it, I still at least have cover. I'm going to sit behind, hopefully, something line of sight blocking. So I'm not just getting picked off with it. Because I really want those units to continue to threaten throughout the game and to be able to trade in that mid midfield level. So that if you try to get that with their speed, they can always threaten any midfield objective, even from slightly back in my deployment zone, especially with the strife and the charge plus one. So there's a lot to be said, especially when you get into round two, when I'm doing advanced and charging, it's a very large threat range. So I can a lot of times utilize, you know, some basically suboptimal terrain placement on that, where I'm still going to be able to reach those mid-game board objectives. And that's the biggest thing. Threatening my opponent's deployment zone is more of a, a bonus than anything. The thing that I really need to be able to do is to take those mid-game uh, objectives away from my opponent. Sweet. Well, that uh, that definitely answers my question on that. Uh, John, did you have any uh, questions more uh, about the, any of the units or how the list plays? Uh, definitely seems like I think this is what uh, we're going to see going forth from uh, most Dark Outer lists, is leaning more heavily into Cult of Strife and Witches. Yeah, um... All of that makes sense where I really like, you know, this approach across the board for Dark Elder. And I think that it's definitely got a lot of potential working forward. Not that Dark Elder was really, you know, lacking for good options. But I guess my um my biggest question is like, have you ever found that there are just some extreme builds where like this doesn't really work the way you want it to? Or like, do you ever get worried about something like, you know, Slanesh Demons or, you know, unconventional off-meta? lists that can actually really challenge this you know this extreme where 
you know, it sometimes seems where like witch cult is very strong at their extreme, but they're only good at, you know, at what they do. They don't really have a lot, a large range of options, I guess. And, you know, maybe this is my, you know, opinion as an uneducated Dark Elder player who jumped off the bandwagon very quickly. But sometimes it's felt like witch cult does what it does. And if someone can beat them at their own game, they suddenly don't really have a plan B. So that's always kept me from wanting to lean too heavily into witch cult. And, you know, that could be anything like shooting into combat, teleporting out of traps, you know, mass obsec that fights first or fights back or has other deterrents to going in there, stuff like that. That's why I'm bringing so many random units, though. I think just basically having more options to continually play the mission. So even if somebody's doing what I'm doing better or they're playing a million small knights or something and I don't feel that I have the, the damage capability to really take that out on a skew list, I'm still trying to make it so that I'm taking my primary, I'm scoring my secondary points. Like I was saying earlier, because at the end of the day, I'm completely okay with being tabled as long as I win the match. I just don't care. And that's the thing is, is I feel any build that I'm going into, and this build might change over, you know, test games and stuff like that. I'm with three days outside of VCO, you know what I mean? So there's, I've been thinking about these changes for a hot minute, but I didn't want to be too into them until uh, after the tournaments that I was playing in. So the biggest things about this is that I think it's, it's optimal. Like I'm a big fan and I've been back and forth between Blackheart and Poison Tongue, and I really like the redeployment. I like having shenanigans and just a lot of units that can do different things, can score different secondaries, can perform lots of uh, actions for uh, the game. So that that way I always feel that I have a chance, even if I'm going to, into a matchup that might not be optimum for me or a terrain that won't be optimum for me. But again, I'm kind of building this towards the tournaments that I already know I'm going to and the fact that their terrain looks very strong and very heavy. Yeah, you're kind of relying on just having the ultimate toolbox where if you have enough stuff, you're going to have, you know, the, the right hammer for whichever nail presents itself. Right. It's just, I, I don't want to lean into putting myself so hard that like you were saying though, if, if I only have just this, this beat stick of hand to hand or something like that, and someone's able to do something about it, either from a shooting aspect or just doing it better than I'm doing then I, I still need to have that fallback plan of how I'm winning. So I always kind of make very toolboxy armies pretty much consistently. I'm, I'm a very much an MSU player, and I like to have toolbox skill sets because I never want to walk up to a table in any of my list builds and feel like I just lose to list A. You know what I mean? And I'd rather be good against the entire field and have a chance against everything than smash... 80% of the field, but lose to 20% of the field or even less. You know what I mean? I just don't want to, you, you still have to beat everybody. You know, you have to go undefeated or you have to go, you know, five and one, you got to go, whatever you got to win most of your games. And especially in these three day tournaments, you're looking at day one and you could literally play anything on day one. So I don't want to be at, at a disadvantage going into that and feel like I just don't have a chance uh, when I'm playing, you know, you're playing in these, 300 man, four or 500 man tournaments, you know, anywhere from this to LVO and stuff like that, you have no idea what you're going to be playing against. So I, I kind of just have, want to have that toolbox, which does water down my list a smidge most of the time, but it just gives me more options to play against those bad matchups also. <clears throat> yeah, I've noticed that um, some players are definitely more toolbox players. Other players kind of just 
uh, seem to like to build the redundancy and you know just to avoid wiring down uh, and we can we can definitely see here where it's kind of almost like you've compromised against your play style because I notice a lot of a lot of times when you run a list you know you seem to find like four five units that you tend to focus on and then it's like I can just tell you when the battle scrapping like duplicate 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 and then we can see it a little bit here with the, the mandrakes and the witches and stuff like that um, but still having those little tech pieces like the bikes and everything um, how do you do you feel that if you need to adjust anything uh, is there a unit that you're unsure on that, unsure of that's on the chopping block or would you and you chop that to get points or would you uh, maybe cut into some of the redundancy that you have, like the second unit of Mandrakes, or, or going down to a smaller unit on the second witches. Um, if you need to adjust, where do you go from here? I, I would I would adjust from the tech bases. Like the true porn are semi on the chopping block, even though they're very popular on that. Just because I feel like they get touched a lot, they have to get really close for their damage. I love them and I hate them at the same time. Um, and then the things that I'm just keeping in are minimum the one high end. I actually prefer the two high end, but I can get away with one high end. I think uh, it just becomes something that has to be able to do damage on it. So there's a lot to be said for the the reavers and the scourges are me being a little bit cute and trying to be able to have some tech pieces in here. So those are a thousand percent on the chopping block, but there's not a lot of points there. That's 140 points there. It's 135 for the trueborn. I don't really don't have anything. That's a lot of points in my army because it's just so I try to stay so MSU. So if something gets killed, if I get uh, slightly out of position with anything, then I don't feel like I'm losing that much of my army. And I just have more pieces <clears throat> that I can put together and work together synergies that are going to make it so I can win no matter what happens. So if I have just I don't I don't I'm not the kind of player that puts a thousand points into a Death Star typically where I, it's just not really the way I play. So almost everything's on the chopping block. I think the, basically the, the two things that I'll keep in period are going to be the, uh, the witches and the two succubuses are going to be a hundred percent and at least one hellion. So I think that's kind of where I'm telling the truth. I'm not taking out the incubi there. I, I say that I'm like, I'm going to keep this only, uh, but then this, but maybe this, but the, the three incubi are just so good for what they do. You know, 80 points a squad is just fantastic. The two units of witches have just performed super well. And every one of my Dark Elder armies, I've had a 210-man unit of witches. And the fact that they've got that shard net in them, uh, I go back and forth on Morvane's Agonizer. Just basically keeping people in combat is just such a huge thing. And then I like the, I like the Hellions for what we were talking about before for extending the board. So I just think that like the core of my army is the two succubuses, the two witches, the one the one hellion, and the three incubi, I think are basically the the bread and butter, the, the core that I work around. I basically just get into Battle Scribe, click all of those in there, and then I start moving in. And I think that at least one of the Mandrakes is always going to be in there also because of the fact that I really want to not just be at the whim of my opponent, the mercy of what they're doing pregame, with pregame moves and stuff like that infiltrators, pregame scout moves, uh, anything of that nature. There's just so many things that you can that can happen to you if you don't have the ability to block out at least a portion of the board, especially when you're talking about pitch battle deployment, which is the most susceptible to an alpha strike. Having the, the ability to just kind of push back a little bit, I'm completely willing to lose a, a unit or two of mandrakes as opposed to having my opponent just crash into the heart of my army uh, and just flip a, a game on its head. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, honestly, I mean, I like the the thought process that you're going through here, but I do have a couple more questions on some of the tech pieces. Most notably, I kind of want to talk about one of the units that we have not mentioned at all for Dark Eldar, but that I've seen a lot of people mention kind of in the post-FAQ, you know, breakdown of where to go forward. Uh, and that's specifically the Kronos. Um, obviously, you played against Kronos this weekend. As a matter of fact, you played against some guy who was playing Kronos twice. Um, yeah. And uh, I know that you already talked about, you know, your love for MSU and, uh, you know, why you like to avoid these big units. And Kronos aren't actually that big of a unit. I, I don't think you could, you're realistically not making them cost more I, than like 250 points. I actually have two. I have a real Space Raider unit. Or, uh, besides, this is like my kind of go-to. It's where I went first. But my other alt alternate army that I've already made is a real Space Raider detachment with two units of three Kronoses and a homunculus there. Ah, see, there it is. Okay. So in that case, you've got a couple builds, some with Kronos, some without. What's the thought process behind them and whether or not they make the cut on any given day? I'm just back and forth on it because, I, I, like I said, I don't really like to have like big targets for it. And the, the Kronos should typically kind of run in a circle around the homunculus. So I hate having a lot of points in a small area. So if somebody hits me and I lose that, I feel like I've lost a lot of the board. But they do do very efficient damage, and they're unbelievably annoying. Having you know, three up, five up, feeling no pain. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, getting that. And I've actually thought about not even running them as a Technomancer and just basically putting those Kronos out there and running the minus one damage. There's a lot of a lot of the Austrians have having a lot of success with. Uh, coven-based armies with that. So it's something that I looked at and I've talked to other out of work coaches, uh, talk, just bantering ideas back and forth on that. So I have thought about that uh, quite a bit, but it is a fairly large point of investiture for it. You know what I mean? Because I'm looking at if I put two units of three in there and I put the extra gun on it, you know, that's 480 plus the Amoculus. So back and forth on whether I like that enough they're really, really nice. They have lots of tech. Getting your people back, being able to be healed by the Homunculus uh, is a big deal, you know, on that. So I have been back and forth on whether I'd like to run that. That does limit me in some of my ability to just go straight MSU because I would run something that looks very, very much like we were just talking about right now. But I would probably take out all of the tech pieces and I would just replace them with. Kronos. Yeah. And at that point, you know, the Kronos is an amazing value, but you are, you're now having one tool and, you know, no matter how good one tool can be, I guess your perspective is that more tools is better than one tool. Kind of. And, and the thing is, is that in playtesting in the next month, uh, I will have to make that decision. You know what I mean? To see whether or not that continues to be the case. So I can't really a hundred percent tell you right now, because I've been, you know, I focused on my playtesting and everything else on the, the two tournaments, Atlantic City and Armed Forces. Uh, leading up to that, I was, you know, focused on the, the liquefier army. So I, I was playing this uh, similar to this before. So it's like I already have pre-reps in with this. I do not have reps in with the Kronos already. So it's one of those things that I will have to play more games with uh, to feel that if I, I feel that that's the value for me. Because a lot of times, in all, in all seriousness, that might be the superior army, but if it doesn't fit my play style or anybody's, you know, when you're looking at your army and what to take, if it doesn't fit exactly how I play, then it's not the superior army, even if it is on paper. Okay. Um, the second question that I had then, 
is, you know, you mentioned all those units that you said that you would never drop from the list. And I don't know if you just weren't thinking about them or if they didn't make the list. What about raiders going up in points? Obviously, they're still great value, but is this enough to even consider Venoms at all on the list? Are they close to making the cut? They, they are. They, I, I really thought about them because they're easier to hide. But uh, I need at least two raiders for the, the witches because they're two 10-mans. So I had two raiders there. If I continue to take the Trueborn, I need one more raider for that because that's also a 10-man. And after that, then I would think about taking uh, some Venom. So it just has a smaller footprint. But yes, I have thought about that a bit. But the thing is, is they're not a two-for-one swap when you're looking at the points on them. So I have to also fit in everybody that wants to go in. So since they have, they don't have the kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the capacity, you're, you're only saving 20 points. So I'm back and forth on what that. I'd have to free up some more, some more points. And it also is, I don't know if I want of the sheer amount of vehicles and transports, because in the end, they're, they're basically shooting one time. You know what I mean? So it's just that it's that one shot. And I like to have more stuff. And more ability and also i do kind of miss the the dark technomancer raiders because i loved having the extra damage my voice is also cracking because i'm dying from be having too many people around me uh the i loved uh wounding on twos and having the extra damage you know from the technomancer that actually made the raiders feel a lot more uh vicious for me so and i do want more stuff so having more stuff is more my play so i'm, I'm really hemming and hawing about that a lot of these other things are on the chopping block. A lot of these tiny, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of these tiny tech pieces. And in the end, I might go with the Kronos instead of that. So there's a lot to be said for that. All right, all right. I like the way you broke that down. Um, moving forward, then um, with the list, you know, we we've kind of seen where it's come from, and you know, we're seeing where it is now, and kind of the options that you're looking at for the future. Um, you know, before we uh, go into part two, I did want to dive a little bit deeper into um some of like i guess you know like where you try to cut points and like the little nitty-gritty um upgrades on the witches with the cult of strife i'm actually asking this from a personal reason because i've cut cult of strife from my dark elder list how often do you find yourself using the cult of strife stratagems i know that they're amazing to have but oh, how often have they come up just ridiculously ridiculously I, oh, like consistently i use the two cp reroll wounds almost every turn I use the one CP strat for ignoring Overwatch almost all the time. I don't know how much I use it when we don't have other people that are firing liquefier guns at me. But when I'm trying to charge into somebody with three liquefier guns, it was a big deal that I didn't lose the entire squad. Um, <laughs> and the relics are just really good. They're, so, and and the relics and warlord traits are just very very strong. So yeah, I yeah. use them quite a bit. I don't blame you for uh, holding onto the cult of strife. Uh, certainly in a triple patrol, I think it makes more sense. But um, I was asking more in the context, I guess, of like the real space raid battalion, where you know then it becomes an extra detachment and there's a CP cost involved. I asked because I found when I was playing Dark Elder that you know for the I guess what the ten or eleven games that I had with them, um, the Cult of Strife stratagem did not actually come up as often as I was expecting. So I was kind of you know toying with the idea of cutting it to see what would happen. Um, if but, I wasn't you know, using the Cult of Strife, uh, if I wasn't using the Cult of Strife strats all the time. I would play Red and Grief because of the plus two advance and reroll charges. Like if you didn't have the Book of Blood, I would play Grief because I prefer the extra movement. Just movement is king in the game right now. 
I just really feel that it's just, especially when you're talking about an army like Dark Elder, any of the Eldari, tell you the truth. When you're playing a glass cannon type army, the, your movement is just the key to victory because you can just reflank, you can go, you can completely bail on a side. You have so much more power from that mobility. So I would love to have, I would, I would love for them all to be equal at that point in time and uh, give me that plus two advance and the uh, reroll charges to just be able to give yourself a little bit more percent chance to make those charges sometimes that are a little bit riskier. That reroll is just a huge thing. Yeah, and Red Grief actually is, is exactly why I'm asking. Um, I, I like going fast, you know, just the same as you. I like squeezing as many inches of movement as I can out of uh, any unit that's trying to play the objectives. Um, it's it's an interesting thing to consider. I I, I think uh, Cult of Strife makes more sense in, you know, the approach that you've been talking about, which is the toolbox. Because, yeah, you know, you talk about taking all these different units that you have something for everything. Cult of Strife gives you more stratagems for for all occasions. And when you need them, you've got them. And when you don't, well, you don't spend the CP and you move on with your life on something else. 100% on that. I've hemmed in hot on that. In, in my original, original builds from when we the book first dropped were uh, double witch coat with one red grief and one cold strife. And then I bounced back and forth between a coven and a cabal. So I, I've worked on that. Yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, I, I love the red grief, tell you the truth. I, I have thought about doing that again. My original... Original, original thought again was just to say one cold of strife and one red grief, and then the cabal after that. So I don't actually rule it out, to tell you the truth. It's just really, really fast. The only thing that's a problem when I go uh, double cult is making sure you know which one's which and stuff like that. And I tend to just default to having them all the same. Uh, so I never screw anything up because I don't want to be the guy that makes some crazy bad move. And then we find out later that it was the wrong unit. And then I get destroyed on the internet. <laughs> it's definitely better not to do that. Exactly, my friend. Exactly. So <clears throat> you just cough into the microphone real quick and get ready for part two. All right. Well, that uh, that will pretty much wrap us up part one, Brad. That was uh, that was a very interesting in depth discussion. I'm pretty excited to see what happens, especially the uh, talk about red grief. I um, when the book dropped, I really, really, really liked red grief, red grief just because how fast it was, and then immediately cold strike dropped and i was like red who but um i I do love the speed so i'm very excited to uh, potentially see that uh but uh listeners uh if you liked what you heard and you want to hear some more especially because gw is starting to ramp back up and rapid fire uh, drop codexes uh head on over to uh part two uh if you are a uh subscriber through artofwar.com you'll have access to part two otherwise if you're not definitely suggest heading over there and uh, slinging us some dollar dues, get access to that part too. They even have uh, package deals uh, if you subscribe to multiple podcasts, which in my opinion are all worth subscribing to. Uh, so gents and uh, subscribers and hopefully new subscribers, I will see you there. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under, where we break down armies and new rules. TheArtOfWar40K.com This episode was brought to you by the Competitive 40K Network.